Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I tremble before you and before your people today, Lord. Um, fearful of the inadequacy of words to express what needs to be expressed and understood. Lord, I am frail and I am uh, only human. And the words that I have uh, brought together to present this, Lord, are, are simply inadequate to truly relay what you experienced on our behalf. And so, Lord, I'm asking this night that you would send your Holy Spirit, Lord, to go above and beyond the mere words, that the principle may hit the hearts of your people, and that, Lord, we might truly be speechless at that great sacrifice made for us at Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44. The Bible says, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. That's a powerful verse, group of verses. It's describing the, the death of Christ. Um, flip back with me to the book of Matthew, if you will. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the great hour that is before him and them. The hour of his suffering, the hour of his crucifixion. And in Matthew 26, verse 36, the Bible says here, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And he saith unto the, unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of, or the two sons of, the, of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and read those words with me. Watch with me. Watch 
with me. It is as though Jesus is inviting these disciples to enter into something with him. He's saying to them, watch with me. It, it appears that this is an invitation to the disciples to enter into the suffering that Jesus was about to go through. Watch with me. I want you to see what I'm about to go through for your sakes. Watch with me. And you know the story that uh, 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 the disciples fall asleep. And Jesus comes back and says, he finds them sleeping and says, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Pray that you enter not into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There was something about the disciples watching with Jesus that would have prepared them for the crisis to come. And I want to say to you today that the same is true for us. There is something crucial, something critical that we must recognize in order to prepare us for this final crisis to come upon the earth. Jesus said, watch with me. And you know what? I believe that not only did he say that 2,000 years ago, he's saying it to each and every one of us today. Watch with me. You see, Jesus was about to go through a great trial. He was going to be sacrificed on a cross. He was going to die. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, was this really that great of a sacrifice? I mean, surely God knew that his son was going to die, and surely he knew that three days later his son would be resurrected. Ever, anyone ever thought that? <laughs> is, it, is it really that big? Of a, it's kind of like saying goodbye to your son for three days, knowing that he's coming back three days later. You know, if you had a child that died and you knew, well, this child is going to die, but three days later he's going to come back, I mean, would you really... Be that traumatized, if you will. Did God suffer at the loss of his son? What do you think? How much do you think he suffered at the loss of his son? <clears throat> I mean, think about it. There's something in that that actually does not make sense the way that we view the sacrifice of Christ. How could God be exceed? How could God suffer exceedingly, knowing that His Son would be resurrected again three days later? It seems not to really add up until we understand the relationship between the Father and the Son. You see, I, I want you to turn with me in your, in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. 
The Bible says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. These three are one. It's a powerful statement. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're one. The Bible also says that God is what? God is love. So how long were God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit one? Always. <laughs> From everlasting, they were one. Now, the Bible says that God is love, and that's a very powerful statement. Uh, it cannot be said of any of us that you, you or I are love. We love. That's something that we do. And our love grows. Any, uh, are there any women in here who have had children? Raise your hand if there's a woman in here who's had children. When, on day one, when you saw your child, what did you think to yourself? Did you think, I love this child as much as I will ever love this child? Did you think that? On day one, did you think there, there, is, there is no possible way for me to love this child any more than I do today? Did you think that? Come on, mothers. <laughs> do you I hope your children aren't in uh, <laughs> That's something natural. As parents, we see our children the first day, and we are just like, oh, my, this is the best thing on planet Earth. And then we discover something shocking and amazing a day later. A day later, we realize that we actually love that child more on day two than we did on day one. And, and, and weeks later and months later and years later, as the time goes by, what's happening to that love? It is growing and strengthening uh, as time goes on. But you see, God is not like us. And so when we think of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they loved each other as much as it is possible for all time. There was no growing in love. You know, son, I love you more than I did, you know, 25 eons ago. <laughs> No, they were already at the full capacity of what love is from the very beginning. Now, let me ask you something. When you are separated from one that you love and have had a relationship with for five years, 10 years, 50 years, how do you feel? When that person is, when you are separated from that person, when death comes, what, what, how does that feel? It's a painful experience. Please consider with me that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was never a time in history, if we could use that word, that there was a separation between the Father and the Son. You know, I'm struggling up here because this, 
thing is so heavy that the words I'm saying, I feel like handicapped. From eternity past, they were one. And, and I want you to notice something because, you know, as we look at the trial of Jesus, we find Jesus uh, at a certain point, he is taken, he is bound, he is beaten, he is, uh, he, 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 they, they scourge him. And it's interesting that the scourging didn't kill Jesus. They spit on him and beat him. That didn't kill Jesus. They made him carry his own cross. And, and while he's already beaten down, I mean, just weakened, and that didn't kill Jesus. They nailed him to the cross, and Jesus is there. He's suffering on the cross, and the Bible says he's suffering for some time. They're mocking him. They're, they're, they're you know, saying all kinds of things. And Jesus, Ellen White actually tells us that his physical suffering was hardly felt. Notice with me Matthew chapter 27 once again. Matthew 27, verse 46. I said once again, we hadn't gone there yet. We're going there now. Matthew 27, verse 46. The Bible says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What do you think happened? I mean, why did Jesus cry that out at that time? What happened at that time? Okay, think about it. It's right in the text. Why did Jesus cry out at that? Okay, did he cry out in the Garden of Gethsemane, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No. Did he cry when he was being tried by, by Pilate, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No. Did he cry while he, while he was being lashed? No, no, no. The Bible says he cried out at the ninth. What time did he cry out? The ninth hour, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which indicates, when did God forsake him? At the ninth hour. The very time that he cried out. You know, if uh, someone kicks you and it hurts, you don't do something like this. Ow! Okay, does that make sense? When something hits you and it hurts, you cry at that moment. Beloved, Jesus is crying out at this moment. It's like he realizes, he's forsaken me. He's gone. I cannot sense his presence anymore. Now, please keep this in mind. I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 And, and please notice what happens here in verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness all over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus, it don't, it, it, it. It hits him with all its force that his father, that there has been a what? Separation. Please understand, 
from eternity past, the Father and the Son have never been separated. And now there's a separation. How traumatic do you think that was to Jesus? In other words, is it possible that it was not death that Jesus feared, but this moment of separation? How intense was this? Listen, Mark chapter 15, verse 35. So Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? Why, why have, hast thou forsaken me? Now notice verse 35. And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he, call, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Somebody hears it. Oh, he's calling for Elias. They run, maybe not so far. They run, get a sponge, come back, offer it up to him. He takes a sip. He cries out one more time and dies. The separation was so traumatic that in a matter of moments, Jesus died. Whatever it was that Jesus experienced in that final moment when he realized his father had, had, had forsaken him, or so he thought, in that particular moment when he felt this separation between him and his father, the separation was so traumatic that he did not, you know, they say on the cross, you should last, a good, you know, strong man should last about three days. Anywhere from two to three days. The moment this realization hits, it's a matter of moments before Jesus dies. What kind of anguish could the Son of God have been going through that it meant that it, that, that it killed him in a matter of moments? Desire of Ages, page 754, at the ninth hour, the darkness lifted from the people, but still enveloped the Savior, enveloped the Savior, I'm sorry. It was a symbol of the agony and horror that weighed upon his heart. No eye could pierce that gloom that surrounded the cross, and none could penetrate the deeper gloom that enshrouded the suffering soul of Christ. The angry lightning seemed to be hurled at him as he hung upon the cross. Then Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at the ninth hour when he drank the last dregs. It was a moment of such incredible intensity that it killed the Son of God. Amazing Grace, page 170. Oh, was there ever suffering and sorrow like that endured by the dying Savior? 
It was the sense of his father's displeasure which made the cup so bitter. It was not bodily suffering which so quickly, so how? So quickly ended the life of Christ upon the cross. It was the crushing weight of the sins of the world and a sense of his father's wrath, the fierce temptation that his own father had forever left him caused that piercing cry from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In all of history, there will never be a time like the ninth hour again. Not only does this ninth hour pass the comprehension of humanity, I want you to listen to what happened in heaven at the ninth hour. Five BC, page one, page eleven oh eight. The dark cloud of human transgression came between the Father and the Son. How many of you remember when did she say the dark cloud separated the Father from the Son? It was at the what hour? At the well, the cloud was over the entire place for three hours, but at the ninth hour, everywhere else cleared up, and the cloud remained over who? Jesus alone, and no one could see. The ninth hour. The dark cloud of human transgression came between the Father and the Son. The interruption of the communion between God and his Son caused a condition of things in the heavenly courts which cannot be described by human language. you can begin to understand, like, I'm sitting out there and I'm looking at you and I'm going, maybe you don't get it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, maybe you just so get it that you look like you don't get it. <laughs> and then I'm wondering, do I get it? You know, it's language is failing to describe what happened at that ninth hour. She tells us that there was a condition in heaven that cannot be described by human language simply for a moment of interruption how lightly you and I take sin how lightly you and I take those things that separate us from communion with the father Jesus said to his disciple disciples watch with me there's something i want you to see there's something i want you to understand i want you to enter into what i suffered because only as you enter into what i suffered will you truly understand just how much i love you and when you understand just how much i love you that's going to do something for you that will prepare you for the time of trouble Jesus and the Father, they loved one another so much that a moment of separation caused the death of the Son. If God could die, at that moment he would have. But God cannot die. 
Ellen White tells us that God, it was as though God died when his son died. Divinity suffered because of that moment of separation. Uh, Imagine someone ripping your arm from you, (laughs) just ripping it. Think about the physical pain, someone ripping you in half. And then consider, amplify that, and consider the mental anguish Jesus went through when he was separated from his father. Our human minds cannot comprehend what depth of love, John 3.16, suddenly comes to greater life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Do you realize that Jesus calls us to be partakers of that suffering? He says, I want you to see what I went through for you because when you see what I went through for you, you will have a greater appreciation. I promise you, when you see what I went through for you, you will not fall asleep in church. (laughs) Why could the disciples sleep? Because they did not have an appreciation of what Jesus was about to endure on their behalf. Speaking of these words, you remember Jesus says, you know, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Speaking of these words, listen to what Ellen White says. Read these words carefully. Many today are asleep, as were the disciples. They are not watching and praying lest they enter into temptation. Let us read and study those portions of God's word that have special reference to these last days, pointing out the dangers that will threaten God's people. We need keen, sanctified perception. What do you use perception for? To what? Okay. Or to? To see. Or to watch. We need keen, sanctified perception so that we can watch. And I want you to listen to this next sentence. This is, by the way, the reference for this is as 80, page 100. There was a reason why Jesus, you see, Jesus wanted his disciples to watch because they were going through something at that time which would, which would leave them unprepared for the final crisis. Jesus was not just saying, hey, why don't you come watch what I'm going through? He was trying to take their minds, as it were, off of one thing and to get it focused on something else. There was something the disciples were going through that would leave them as open targets for the enemy. I want you to listen to this next sentence right in line in the context of what I just read. 
After saying we need keen, sanctified perception, she then goes on to say, this perception is not to be used in criticizing and condemning one another, but discerning the signs of the times. What was going on with the disciples at this time? <laughs> Apparently, they were criticizing and condemning one another. Listen to this uh, statement from the book, uh, I'm sorry, from Manuscripts, uh, page 106. It says here, Manuscript 106, rather, it says here, on, the, on this last evening with his disciples, Jesus had much to tell them. If they had been prepared to receive what he longed to impart, they would have been saved from heartbreaking anguish, from disappointment and unbelief. But Jesus saw that they could not bear what he had to say. He looked into their faces. The words of warning and comfort were stayed upon his lips. Moments passed in silence. Jesus appeared to be waiting. The disciples were ill at ease. Listen to this next sentence. The glances they cast at each other told of jealousy and contention. The disciples clung to their favorite idea that Christ would assert his power and take his position on the throne of David, and in their hearts, each still longed for the highest place in the kingdom. <clears throat> Listen, beloved, instead of the disciples keeping an eye on Jesus, they were keeping an eye on each other. Watch, Jesus said. The devil also wants us to watch. Because he knows that if we do not watch what we ought to be watching, we will be unprepared for the final crisis. Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. I want you to please listen to this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. Jesus begins one of his parables with this, with this word. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 43. The Bible says here, But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have what? Watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made him ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Let me ask you something. Who does God make rulers over his household to give them meat in due season? What's he talking about? What's his household? The church. Who does he appoint to give meat to the people in his household, the preachers, the ministers, those who he has called to ministry. Not only those, each one of us as individuals who have a burden for souls of God, for God's people out there in other churches, we are his servants. But I want you to notice what it says here. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. 
Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord, delay his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to me. Who is a fellow servant? If the servant is a minister or, or someone who is called to share the gospel, then who is the fellow servant? A fellow minister, a fellow worker for the Lord. And what we're learning here, beloved, is that God is telling us, listen, I want the church to be unified, to be prepared for my second coming. We are unified by watching who? Jesus. However, if my servants begin to watch one another and begin to smite. Oh. You see, beloved, the devil knew if he can get the disciples to smite one another, to talk, you know, oh, man, this Jesus, I'm just, hey, look, I just want to let you know, this guy I'm the one. <laughs> it was this very attitude that left all of them unprepared for the crisis that they faced. Jeremiah 18 verse 18 speaks about smiting with the tongue. Beloved, listen to me. When I say smite, when the Bible says smite, it doesn't mean that you went up to somebody else and hit them. It means smiting with the tongue. It means gossip it means those words that are meant to damage to to destroy one another to destroy one's reputation and beloved listen to me if there is one thing that is poisoning the church of god and making us ill prepared for the final events it is the sin of smiting our fellow servants This day with God, page 99, listen to this please, meditate upon Christ's sufferings for us. What, do we sh what should we be meditating upon? Listen to the next sentence. In the place of watching to find something to accuse and condemn in others, thank the Lord that there is forgiveness with him. Christ is grieved when we criticize and accuse for this is the work of Satan. It doesn't mean how you put, put that together. Meditate upon Christ. Watch him. Watch Christ. Don't spend your time watching for faults and condemnation in others. This is the work of Satan, and this is the work that Satan was doing amongst the disciples on that very night. It left them unprepared for the crisis. It's interesting. How many of you remember the story of David and Saul? Do you remember what happened when David went out and slew, you know, his 10,000? And then the, the lady would come back singing, you know, Saul is slain his thousands and David his 10,000s. You know what happened? The Bible says that uh, 
Let me show it to you. Go with me to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is, this is uh, yeah. 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. And it came to pass as they, as they came, when, the, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out, all of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And when the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands, and Saul was wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and, they, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Now notice verse 9. And Saul eyed. <laughs> Woo. So, you know, I kind of like the, the Strong's Concordance. I looked up the word eye and found that it simply meant Watched. Yeah. Saul watched David from that moment on. The very next verse says that uh, it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand at, as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. The javelin of Saul. How many of us are holding the javelin of Saul? <laughs> you know, waiting to pierce, waiting to find fault, waiting to criticize someone or something so that we can be at peace with ourselves. This is exactly the work the disciples were doing when they were criticizing one another. The neglect to cultivate... This is, a, I believe, the, the, the reference is heavenly uh, calling, page 237. The neglect to cultivate tender consideration and forbearance for one another has caused dissension, distrust, fault finding, and general disunion. God calls upon us to put away this great sin and to strive to answer the prayer of Christ that his disciples may be one as he was one with the Father. It is the special work of Satan to cause dissension that the world should be deprived of the most powerful testimony Christians can give it that God has sent his son to bring into harmony turbulent, proud, envious, jealous, bigot-minded people. Strong words. Strong words. Jesus prayed that they may be one. He said, I want you to watch what's going to happen to me because my father and I are willing to be separated so that you can be one. And so you understand that when we promote division in God's house, we are spitting in the face of the separation that killed Christ. You'll remember it was Acts chapter 2 where the disciples, what, were united that the Spirit of God fell upon his people. Beloved, don't get me wrong. We cannot unite with error. And where error is, we should call it out. If someone is in error, yeah, go to that person. But the, 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 the way that the devil would work is to create what I call an atmosphere of suspicion. 
Notice with me 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible specifically tells us here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, For as much then as Christ has done what? Suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from what? Sin. Let this mind be in you. Arm yourselves with this mind, the mind that was willing to suffer for the sake of truth, for the sake of God, for the sake of us. Jesus was willing to go through all these things. Let this mind be in you. What kind of mind did Jesus have? The Bible says that Jesus did what? He humbled himself. Even though he was equal with God, he wasn't trying to find first place. That's the very opposite of the mind of Satan. What was Satan's mind? Satan said, I will do what? Exalt myself. Do you know that that's exactly what the disciples were doing when Jesus was trying to say to them, please watch with me. You remember when Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm telling you, uh, uh, tonight all of you are going to betray me. And you know what Peter said? Peter was like, even though all, you know, these sorry guys, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I am your true servant. I am the one that has the understanding. I am the one, Lord, that is, you can count on me. Ellen White says, singling out Simon Peter, he addressed him, Simon Peter, sleepest thou? Could not thou watch one hour with me? O Simon, where is now thy boasted devotion? Thou who didst but lately declare that thou couldst go with the Lord to prison or to death, has left him in the hour of his agony and temptation and sought repose in sleep. The spirit of self-exaltation or or, and other degradation is a dangerous spirit. This is what Peter was doing. This is what the disciples were doing. In fact, I want you to notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Beloved, this is not something new. This is something the enemy of souls has been trying to accomplish in the church of God for a long time. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Are you there with me? Say amen. amen. The Bible says here, for you are yet carnal. You are yet what? Carnal. Why? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not yet what? Carnal and walk as men, for while one saith, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos. Are you not yet carnal? Do you know that we have Adventist gangs in the church? <laughs> Adventist gangs, who's your leader? Oh, my leader is. Who's your leader? Oh, my leader is. And my leader says this. So I'm watching out for you. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, my leader, he says this, and so you and your gang is wrong. Adventist posses. <laughs> That's what it is. And, and what's happening, beloved, is that as people watch the, 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 the strife and the, oh, yeah, this one says this and this one says that, and listen to me, again, error needs to be called out as error. Amen? 
However, when the devil gets his hand in it, instead of us going to one another as brothers, we start spreading stuff. And we create what, what is an atmosphere of suspicion. And what happens is that the church, it becomes more and more difficult for the church to unite because instead of watching Jesus, we are watching one another. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what the Bible says, beloved. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the what? Fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. We've read this verse and misunderstood it. I've read this verse and misunderstood it. I've thought that this verse is telling me, hey, you know what? When you go through your sufferings, you know, be happy and rejoice because, you know, Christ suffered too. And maybe in a sense, yes, but beloved, the Bible says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Singular. What fiery trial are we talking about? It tells us right there in the verse, rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Whose sufferings? So you mean then that I should be rejoicing as I partake of Christ's sufferings and not my own sufferings? Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you, okay, let me say it again. Do you mean to tell me that I should not be focusing upon my sufferings? I should be focusing upon Christ's sufferings? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I've been focusing on my sufferings all this time. When, beloved, if we would meditate, would watch, would focus on what Christ went through for us, then our sufferings would shrink into insignificance. Beloved, understand with me, you know, Jesus says, why? <laughs> Do you know the Bible says, by his wounds? Not by my wounds. <laughs> by his wounds, we are healed. Our attention, our energies should be focused on watching Christ. You remember when, when God told Moses to put a serpent upon the pole, remember that? And the Bible says that as they, <laughs> as they looked, as they watched that serpent on the pole, they would be what? Healed. By his stripes, we are to be healed. Do you know that there are people that did not look, on that, look at that serpent? Why didn't they look at the serpent? Why do you think, you know, I mean, if you get bitten by a snake and all you have to do is look at a serpent on the pole, how many of you would look? Aren't you kind of like, man, that's stupid. If I was there, I would. <laughs> right? 
So I'm going to give you a scenario. If suddenly 1,000 snakes just drop from the ceiling, <laughs> except for this part right here. <laughs> And I just said, hey, guys, guys, don't worry about it. Hey, you're getting bitten? Hey, no problem. Just look up here at me and everything will be fine. How many of you would look? Come on now. You wouldn't be looking, would you? What would you be doing? You'd be busy looking at the serpents on the ground. You'd be busy trying to save yourself, wouldn't you? You'd be busy trying to destroy what you thought was out to destroy you. Beloved, God is trying to tell us, and he's trying to say, listen, instead of looking at me, you're trying to find serpents on the ground. You're looking at this one here and this one there and that one there, and this one is looking at this one there and saying this about that one and that one saying that about this one. And God says, if you would all just look up at me. You would be healed. And so the devil has to keep our eyes off of the cross and keep them on one another. You understand when Jesus uh, 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 tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, that we must be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with what? Fire. You understand what the purpose is of baptism of fire? Remember what we just read? Think it not strange concerning the what? Fiery trial. And that fiery trial is none other than the suffering Christ went through when he was separated from his father. In other words, beloved, it is by baptism of the spirit of God of fire that is the only way in which we can begin to comprehend what the agony was that Jesus went through on the cross on our behalf. As we are baptized by fire, the Bible says, now, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Jesus went through a fiery trial on the cross. And he says, be baptized. Be baptized because when you are baptized with that fire, you may now enter what the Bible calls be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ. Now I can begin to understand what that suffering was all about. I can begin to comprehend it in a slight degree. Ellen White tells us, Signs of the Times, June 2nd, 1890, those who sit with Christ on his throne must be partakers with him of his sufferings. They must drink of the cup that he drank of and be baptized with the baptism that he was baptized with. How many of you want to go to heaven? <laughs> the Bible tells us we must be partakers of his sufferings. He was trying to tell the disciples, listen, guys, look at me. I am the fulfillment of that serpent on the pole. Stop looking at one another. Look at what I'm about to go through for you. I'm about to be lifted up for you. But they were busy looking at one another. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. 
We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. Gazar of Ages, page 83. Beloved, in the last days, there will be people who chose to look at the serpents on the ground. There will be people who chose to use the javelin of Saul. There will be people who chose to look at everything else except for what Christ told them to look at. Look at me. Watch with me. And as a result, they will never understand the sacrifice that God made on their behalf. I need to rephrase that statement because, in fact, everyone will one day understand the sacrifice that God made for them. You see, beloved, when the, when the wicked are finally resurrected, God is going to demonstrate something so amazing, so amazing. You see, God is going to let the wicked know just how much they were loved. And because the wicked are no, they, there is no spiritualness about them, you see, when, when God's people repented and, and, and were baptized with fire, that baptism of fire led them to understand the sufferings of Christ, and they had an idea of what Christ went through on their behalf because they were able to enter his sufferings. But the wicked never had that experience. So now God says, I'm going to demonstrate to you the anguish that my son went through, that I went through to save you. And so in the fires of hell, the pain that the wicked will feel, are you following me? The pain that the wicked will feel will be, are you ready for this, a slight, small, tiny representation of the mental anguish that Jesus suffered on their behalf. As they're in that fire, they will say, they will realize, wait a minute, Jesus suffered thus to save me? And I rejected this? Is this the anguish he went through? And God will say to them, no, this is not the anguish he went through. If I were to demonstrate to you the full anguish he went through, I'd have to burn you forever. Jesus suffered infinitely. Not eternally. Infinitely. To save mankind. I'm closing here. Review and Herald, September 4th, 1883. All that God could do has been done to save man. Those who reject the mercy so freely pro-offered 
will yet be made to know the worth of that which they have despised. They will feel the agony which Christ endured upon the cross to purchase redemption for all who would receive it. And then they will realize what they have lost, eternal and immortal inheritance. As I was studying this, I wrote this down. I, I just want to read it to you because I don't want to say it any other way. So don't look for a quote. I'm just going to say Ivor Myers at the end of it. <clears throat> the fires of hell are God's means of the final demonstration to the lost of their worth in his eyes. When they experience a small sample of the infinite sufferings of Christ, they will see what magnificent love they have rejected. They will say, Christ mentally suffered thus to save me. They will realize to some small but sufficient degree the sufferings of infinite love on their behalf. They will die knowing that they were infinitely loved. They will die realizing the infinite love that they had rejected. Beloved, we have two options before us. Those who partake with Christ in his sufferings will also be partakers in his glory. We can either watch Jesus or we can watch everything else but Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, watch with me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God is waiting for his church to unite. And beloved, I, trust me, I understand. They've got, there's this point over here and that point over here. And what do you think about the 144,000? And what do you think about, you know, the, and we can go down the list. Beloved, I believe it's time to focus upon the cross. And if our hearts are truly converted, we will see eye to eye on all that is important. We will put away dissension and strife. Churches are falling apart instead of coming together. We must stand for truth. That is a necessity, but beloved, we ultimately are joined together when all eyes are on the cross. I want to make an appeal. I want to ask you. Tonight, you realize to a small degree the sufferings that Christ went through for you. And he says, I want you, I want you 
to watch with me. I want you to forget about all your wounds. I want you to focus on my wounds. I want you to forget about your sufferings. I want you to focus on my sufferings. I want you to lay everything aside and let me be the center of everything you are. I want to demonstrate to you how much I love you and what I was willing to suffer for you. But I need you to give yourself fully to me. There's someone here today who has not fully given themselves to Christ. I want you to stand where you are. You have not fully given yourself to Christ. And now you're saying, Lord, I can't comprehend the suffering you went through for me, but what, what is what I'm going through compared to what you went through? Beloved, let me tell you, this, is a hard, this was a hard message for me to preach for a number of reasons. But I'm telling you something. I want to see Jesus come. And uh, I will preach whatever I have to preach to help usher that thing in, to help bring about the second coming of Christ. And if God says there is division in my church, it may be an unpopular thing to preach. But, beloved, we got to move forward. We've got to move forward. There is nothing else that matters in this world than what Jesus was willing to go through for us. Is there anyone else that needs to stand? Say, Lord, I'm giving my life. I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to rededicate my life to you, Lord. Praise you, God, for what you have done for me. Lord, help my mind to expand so that I can wrap my mind around that moment of separation. That indescribable moment that caused an indescribable scene in heaven. Lord, enlarge in my, my thinking capacity so I can see what you suffered for me. And I can lay all these things to the side. Heavenly Father, what pain your son must have endured as he watched his disciples sleeping, as he was about to enter upon his sufferings. And Lord, I can only think now what pain you must be going through as your church, which is supposed to be moving forward for one purpose and one mission, to see that church divided in so many different ways. And yet, Lord, we know for all this, the church is a supreme object of your affection on planet Earth. Oh, Lord, only help us 
to get that demonstration of your suffering through the baptism of the Holy Spirit rather than experience that demonstration in the fires of hell. Baptize us now, O Lord, that we might have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and for revealing in a small degree how much you really love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.